Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. And with me today, as always, is Mr. Rob Hirschfeld. Good morning, Rob. Hello, Stephen. Good morning. Well, it's good to hear you. I have had chaos all morning with my headphone, and I think it's because I tried one of these fancy headsets and that screwed up my computer, so I've gone back to the cheap stuff, and it works better. Oh, I'm sad to hear that. I think I, I have placed a lot of value in a battle station. And so at some point I should post a, post a picture of the, the, the latest uh, iteration of the latest Shiny Recording Studio. It's gotten to be uh, quite something. Hanging mics and stand-up desks and monitors everywhere. It's getting a little... Well, if I, I think if I took a picture of my latest Shiny Recording Studio here, people might s- set up a GoFundMe page because they'll feel bad for me that I have no room. So um, anyway, we have a a new guest today, and and this is something really different. I was uh, reading a post on Medium, and uh, the post was by Avi Press, who I'll introduce in a second. And his post was called A a Failed Effort to Get Paid for an Open open Source Project. And he's had over 3,500, I guess, claps is the right thing on Medium. And the podcast and his post was awesome. And I thought we've got to get him on here. And so Avi Press, Avi, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, Avi, you're a software engineer at Fraction. Why don't you uh, just, you know, usually what we do is just kind of give a quick overview of yourself, a little bit about yourself, and then uh, we'll jump in, talk about your post, and and see where we wander off from there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, my name is Avi Press. Uh, I'm a software engineer at a startup called Fraction in San Francisco. Uh, we make uh, integrations with uh, Apple Pay and Google Pay for digital coupons. Um, and before that, I was at Pandora for a little while, building up um, tools for artists and a concert recommendation system. Um, and in my spare time, I like to write a lot of uh, development tools. Um, I really just enjoy building open source software. Um, I really like you know, having projects that other people contribute to, get used by other people, and just uh, make development easier for everybody. So let's let's talk about this project. So it's on Medium. Uh, it's called a failed effort to get paid for an open source project. Why don't you just give us a little overview of uh, what this tool? I believe you called it Toodles. Yeah. And uh, you must. I don't know if you have kids or not, but for me, it reminds me of the Mickey Mouse cartoon. Isn't Toodles? Isn't that the name, Rob? I can't be the only one. Or is it Doodles? The little thing that comes in in the Mickey Mouse cartoon. Oh, I don't know. Steven, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on you. I'm sorry. Oh, my I'm God. Call <laughs> I, I can Mickey say that's Mouse not Club. where the name came from, but um, I, if it works the in many Mickey ways, Mouse, all the better. Here it is, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse cartoon, and it has this thing where whenever they get stuck, they go, oh, toodles or doodle. Okay, I'm going to be quiet while I go search no, to see what you, it is. You nailed it. It's toodles. They say, oh, toodles. toodles. <laughs> Yeah, did you know it was Toodles, or you no, must not I have didn't. kids? No, I that's... don't have kids, but yeah, I, I didn't know that this uh, worked on multiple levels. That's all the better. <laughs> oh, the, the, uh, the song is just ringing in my head now. This is what happens when you have little maybe kids. Maybe that's our theme song, Steven. We could get the Toodles song, and then Disney will sue us. Yeah, so, no, Avi, no. why don't you tell us a little bit about the tool? Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, my company, Fraction, is very small. There's just uh, four, four of us right now. Um and so in a startup environment like that, um, the name of the game is how much tech debt can you incur while you push out features as fast as you can. Um, so naturally, our code base just had tons of to-do entries all over the place. Um, 
And we were pretty methodical about adding metadata to these to-dos, like who is going to do it eventually, like um, any sort of other information about it. Um, so we're very methodical in that way, but we quickly were just like drowning under all of the corners that we were cutting all over the place. Um, so at one point, uh, you know, development was becoming less and less pleasant with all of the, um, you know, the the mistakes that were adding up are not mistakes, but just uh, you know corners that were being cut, um, and we were thinking about ways that we could kind of mitigate that and um, you know get our heads above water with all of the different things that we kind of hope to come back circle back to engineering wise, um, and we just had the idea of just having a tool that could kind of surface all of these to dos and maybe you know allow us to edit the metadata and sort on these things and so and you know maybe answer the question like, what are all the security things that we might want to get back to? Um, so at a certain point, I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to go build that in my spare time. Um, and, you know, a couple weeks later after trying it, I had, I had this full uh, nice UI built that would basically scan an arbitrary code base, all the different languages and files, find all to-dos, uh, and surface them in a nice UI. And if you make a change to a to-do in this UI, it actually gets applied to the code, and then I could check it in and share it with everyone. Um, and I showed my coworkers this, and they were really into it. And kind of a part of our dev meeting for a bit was just like going through our to-dos and seeing, is there anything that we need to maybe take a look at now that wasn't... Uh, an actual feature that we need to push out, but just kind of something for the, the health of our code base. Um, yeah, so it's kind of the basics of Toodles um, and you know what I built for them. So, so uh, we could we could stop right now and do a whole podcast on tech debt and the uh, <laughs> and, and that philosophy. But uh, it wasn't why we got you on the on the podcast. So I'm, I'm yeah. gonna, the, for the for the for the for those listeners who are shouting at their microphone about tech debt and their opinions about tech debt, we're, we're going to come back to it. I'm going to leave some time again. <laughs> yeah, um, cool. Be, because because you know accumulating tech debt can be tech debt can be really expensive, and paying down tech debt can be really expensive um, as a startup with limited time and budget and things like that. And so it is a literal balance. Um, that your company is going to live or die on. Um, but that's not our topic. <laughs> so <laughs> put a pin on that. Um, so you, you open sourced. So before we talk about what you open sourced, I, I'm super curious, right? It's a, it sounds like you're a big consumer of open source too, or do you have projects or, um, you know, communities that you're really involved in that you think are good models for open source development? Um, sorry, just to clarify, um, when, are you, are you speaking specifically about the monetization of the projects or just the projects that I consume and use? Uh, Let's start a with lot consume and use. And then, cause I, I, I think I want to get into monetization, but I think for people to understand sort of where you're thinking, it's really helpful for people to know sort of what projects you're using on a daily basis and what, what you're grounded in. Because, oh, right. Okay. If, if I had said, you know, if you come back and you're like, oh, Kubernetes or OpenStack or something like that, which I'm, <laughs> I'm not suspecting you're going to do, right. um, it changes the tenor of the conversation than if you're really excited about React or Angular or I see. Yeah, JavaScript, totally. NPM. Um, yeah. Um, 
So in terms of, um, I, I, I consider myself to be a kind of engineer. I have like almost two separate engineering lives right now. I have like the things that I do at work and then the things that I do just like for my own projects and stuff. Um, but the thing that unifies those, like one of the biggest open source projects that I use every day is Emacs. Um, I'm a big user of the Space Max project because I, I come from the Vim world, but I also really like a lot of the stuff that Emacs brings to the table, um, which is a huge open source project that I, I live in Emacs all day, basically. Um, I, I did, Avi. I have to stop. I did not know. I was a huge Emacs fan a couple <laughs> years ago on, oh, uh, when I ran on Unix in college, and I was not a I was not a fan of Vint. I'm very excited to hear <laughs> Emacs is still cranking. See, Rob. Now yeah. I know why I like it. It's Emacs. All right, so we can start the Vim Emacs war on the on the, on the shiny thread. But, yes, uh, yeah. But this is why I wanted to know because right, that's uh, to me that puts you in a group of open source consumers. Um, and and really explains a lot about you. What else? What else is interesting for you? Um, let's see. Um, so that's a big one. Um, so I'm a big in terms of like what I write all my code in all day. I I, I do love to write Haskell for a lot of my projects. Mm. Um, and Toodles itself is written in Haskell, and pretty much all of my other side projects also are. And that's a very big open source community as well. Um, with which is a lot different than a lot of the other communities out there and that it's very academic and really not monetization focused at all. Um, but then even, you know, for things like work, you know, I, I write a lot of Go and JavaScript um, and, you know, things like NPM and all these products, Vue.js and all these things, which are very, you know, very active open source projects that I am involved with as well. Um, we use Terraform at work for all of our infrastructure management and stuff and other open source tool. Um, and then, you know, all of the, you know, not even for coding specific, but just like the, the development tools, like, you know, Mosh instead of SSH. So, cause I, I'm, uh, I code on a remote server all day. So having a, um, an SSH session that's persistent if I lose connectivity on the train on the way to work or something is super helpful. So there's just, it, it pervades every part of my, of my day as an engineer, open source tools. Um, whether or not I'm actively contributing to them, it's really nice to know that there's like a community behind them that is supporting that. Makes a lot of sense. And so with, with Toodles, right, it makes sense to me now in, in your you're thinking, right, you're going to, you, it was useful internally, you're going to open source it because it's really not a revenue generator for your, your day job. Right. Um, and then you want, it was your goal in, you know, and it, obviously it, it took off. So you, you started mm -hmm. needing to put some sustaining effort into it. Is that a, is that a, a fair balance on what, what the history was? Yeah. Um, as soon as, as soon as it kind of took off in terms of uh, the attention that it was getting, um, I quickly, you know, I, I do recall a day where I, I literally spent, you know, most of my day just kind of responding to um, people that, you know, the issues that people opened and reviewing pull requests from people and trying to fix bugs as quickly as I could that were opened up. And that's like a, that's a pretty non-trivial amount of time. And I had no, at that point in time, I didn't really know how long that was going to last and how much effort I should put into it. Um, so it, it quickly became, it, it quickly became a thing that I was thinking about just like, hmm, like how sustainable is this going to be? How long will this last? Right. Yeah. So the the thing the thing that I'm I'm thinking about here is this balance between feature development, community building, and sustaining. Mm -hmm. um, right, because once people put software into use, the bugs are going to shift into not features, but you know I try to use it. I you know my environment's a little bit different. I'm having trouble with that. Can you fix this? Or you know 
you'll do a patch and then you still need to review the patch and test it to make sure you're not breaking it for everybody else. It's a, it's a, it's a big change in a project to, to fix that. Is How far down in that life cycle did you get? Or have um, you gotten? Yeah, so it, it got to the point where, um, I'm trying to think of the right way to answer this, but um, a lot of the active, like a lot of the, the feature requests that I got were, you know, not, um, not super foundational changes that needed to be made. A lot of them were like, oh, can you also scan this language? And, um, oh, you know, it'd be cool if, you know, maybe we, you know, surfaced all of the tags on it and things like that. So a lot of the features that were being um, added and needed were not very large. Um, but it, it got to the point where there were, if I really wanted to dive in and make it, um, you know, a tool that could say be used at a company in in terms of something that, um, you know, would be depended on for a while. Like I got, I got a, there was an issue saying, oh, I think that there's a memory leak in here somewhere, um, and you know, it's not super performant on my machine if I run a Toodle server for days on end. Um, and that was where I, you know, was really digging in and saying, mm, like, this is going to take me a while to really dig into this problem and fix it, and I don't know if I want to do that or not. Um, you know, the, for any that's, open source, that's, that's sustaining. That's that's what I would consider classic sustaining work. It's not yeah. a feature. It's not some cool thing that's going to help you at your job. You're helping somebody else with their job. Exactly. Point. And for, you know, for me and a lot of developers in my situation where it's just kind of a, um, a, a hobby project that you're very, you're thrilled that other people are using it, there's probably five other things that I also want to be working on too. It's not just this tool. Mm -hmm. um, so with any, any time that I spend, there's really, you know, I got to ask myself, like, is this, is this how I want to spend my Saturday afternoon? Is this what I want to do? Or should I, you know, <laughs> go hang out with my friends or do literally, like, literally anything else? Um, right. And yeah, as you said, that sustainability is definitely uh, tough to know when, when that time is. This, this to me is an interesting part of the question because um, a lot of people, when they think about open source and consuming open source, they don't think much about that sustainability mm -hmm. or they don't think about the cost of the, to the maintainers of sustain, of sustaining it. Right. Um, right. Because what you're really doing is you're solving a problem for their use case. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases it helps you because you're fixing a real bug, but in a lot of cases it's just, Oh, it's a language, you know, your example of language is great. It's a language I don't use. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, like one of the, one of the big changes I made was um, people were really wanting. Oh, we want to be able to have multi line, uh, like multi line to dos, and uh, that was a huge change that I had to make to the parser um, for you know for just scan all the code and kind of keep all these things intact. I spent you know good you know two weeks on that for a change that I didn't even really need myself. But when uh, multiple people were asking for it, it's like ah, I really should do that. I, I think I will do that. Um, Makes a lot of yeah. sense, and and that led you. Um, and I really encourage people to read read the source, right? Read the blog post. But the the core thing here is that you got to a point where you decided you wanted to try and create some sustaining funds, right? Some monetization. Right. Was that something you did just because you felt like it, you were reaching a point where that was you, you wanted that as motivation, or were people just saying, "Hey, I want to contribute back and not code money"? Um. 
There, so there, there wasn't, I did not get um, that kind of feedback from people saying like, oh, please, I want to pay for this. Um, but it was more that- I am um, shocked. I am shocked. You <laughs> know, right? I, uh, it's such a bummer. <laughs> I thought that was what they say first is here's my money. I mean, yeah. isn't that the way it goes? Money first? It's really not. I, I, now, I now understand. Um, so I, I, was, I was in a position where I- I saw a lot of things that I could do with Toodles. Like I could, you know, make it integrate with GitHub or with Jira or there was a lot of stuff that it could do. Um, and the thing that really like flipped the switch for me was um, getting pull requests and bugs from people who seemed like they were using Toodles at bigger companies. Um, and I, I really liked, so like, Sometimes I would get, um, you know, features from people who are like working at like academic places or like, you know, at universities and stuff, which is really cool. I would, you know, love to be helping, you know, academia. Um, and when I realized that I was, you know, it, you know, spending a Sunday afternoon to fix a bug for someone who's using it at their company and uh, I would never, you know, be paid for that at all. It's like, oh, but why not? Like if they're using it at a company in a commercial setting, and I'm providing value to that commercial setting, like I should be getting some of that value. That seems a very reasonable uh, position to have. Um, so at that point, I decided, okay, well, what would it look like if I decided to try to capture some of that value? And that led me down the road that uh, you know led to me writing this blog post. Cool. And and then when you did that, right, you you started realizing um, that in turning on monetization, right, it, it, it created a whole bunch of other, for lack of a better word, technical debt mm -hmm. around enforcement. Um, right. Was that, I, was that something you anticipated? You know, what, what was, what, you know, how did you think it's actually, let me step back. Did you start with the design and say, Oh, I'm going to monetize this. And you know, it's an open core thing, or you're just trying to create ways to, for people to pay, what was what was sort of your thinking in that process? Um, yeah, when I started, the short answer is I had no idea. Like I, <laughs> okay. I didn't, I had no clue how to go about anything related to monetization. Um, and I think um, <laughs> if if you read what happened, like it, it's very clear that I didn't know what I was doing. Definitely didn't go about it the optimal way, um, and it showed because I, I failed to do it completely. Um, so the first thing that I looked into was um, like the donation model. Um, so like the Patreon, uh, Flatter, these sorts of things. Um, and I made accounts with both of those things. Um, I had you know a little Patreon badge on it for a while, and you know, as soon as I did that, I looked around um, at you know how much are the really successful developers making on Patreon, um, and you know I, I looked at projects that are huge, like way, like orders of magnitude larger than Toodles. Mm -hmm. um, and saw, you know, developers that make, you know, 50 bucks a month or something. And I was just like, ah, oh, like that's so disheartening. Like if these, if these, you know, rock star open source projects like barely make any money off of their donation model, why would is anyone going to donate to me? And the answer was they, they wouldn't, they're not going to. Um, because you know a, a dev tool like this is not contributing the same as like you know the CSS framework that your whole website uses or something like that, which is kind of the example that I had in mind when I said that. Um, so 
the the donation model was like quickly something that I kind of realized was probably not going to work out for me. Um, and then when I thought about it even more, I think right now my main um, hesitation about this uh, the donation model is that I really wanted to be getting paid from how my tool was being used in a commercial setting, not uh, making money off of people just like me that are just trying to build software for others or like you know other open source developers i don't want their money i want the money from big companies who kind of just you know use whatever they need and make a profit off of it um to do to do that you'd need to put in a license uh, like gpl or something like that that caused them to stop using your product when it when (laughs) because of the license right yeah or gpl even Mm -hmm. um and just being kind of a you know a person building tools for himself and and other people who get use out of it i don't know very much at all about software licensing um and you know i i went in to do some research about like how i would go about you know having a a license that was free if you're if you're doing it for an open source project but paid if you're a company and how would i issue those licenses and you know collect the money from people that were using it and doing all that stuff. I had no idea where to start. It was really unclear where to go from there. Um, and there's, it's not that there's a lack of um, information about this stuff, but just making sense of all of it and sifting through it if you're an engineer and not a lawyer is challenging. <laughs> well, um, and, and there's no guarantee about exactly, about, no. Na- about that change. And, and, and in some cases, if you're trying to build a community, it can feel very uh, unfriendly. To make that so, right. so I was going to add to this because when I think about it, right, we have these giant open source foundations and not, you know, as listeners know, it's not that I don't like foundations. I'm just saying it's almost like, wouldn't it be cool if the foundations helped people like Avi and other developers to do all that stuff for them and support them so that yeah. they could generate these open source projects and make them bigger and the overhead kind of stuff that they don't know. And I get it. He's not a lawyer can be handled by the foundation. But I guess foundations don't really want to do that. They have their project and they act like businesses. Uh, they have corporate sponsors. They're they're sort of, and that, that's a whole other conversation. And maybe we should we should pull in. Oh gosh, Chris Anziak or somebody from from a, one of the foundations to talk about what their what their objectives are. I, it's a very real question, right? We're having these broader conversations. Um, and Stephen, I know you and I are gonna gonna have some reviews and talk about it. And we're always looking for new speakers. Yeah. Um, uh, to talk to talk about this, I, I love the more story to story approach we're taking with Avi. So you know, people can sort of hear the dilemma with with what's going on. Um, and I can tell you from Avi from personal experience with RackN, um, and we're data center software. So nobody uses RackN uh, software who's not doing a production data center. It's our right ultimately where we run. Um, and we had to go for an open core. And every time I deal with licensing, it grinds my teeth. Uh, because it's risk for the customers not to work, right? The license expires or breaks, and then things stop working, and that that's that's harmful to me. I, I wish I had a better choice because nobody shows up with checks and just offers to pay for things either. So we're, I share your pain from that. Uh, go ahead, Avi. Steve. Do you think? I was just gonna say, Avi. Do you think you know now that you've done this process where? You were always consuming open source, and now you've tried to do open source. Does this change your view of it? Does this hmm. give you a different understanding? Um, do you now, when you consume that's open source, do you think about, boy, who are the people doing this? Or 
Um, or did it have no impact at all on you and you're just, you're just <laughs> going on? I think it did or you wouldn't put that medium post out there. Right. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, one, one way that it definitely changed, uh, my behavior a little bit is that now if if I am a consumer of an open source project and I submit an issue or a feature request to a project, I'm uh, my, my I'm I'm doing that from a much different place where now I like I don't I don't even like to give a feature request or a bug report if I'm not either going to submit like a pull request or like have a lot of information about how to like uh, reproduce the bug that I'm seeing or something. I'm much more cognizant about the fact that just by me opening up this issue, I'm draining someone's time that they're never going to get back. Um, which, uh, you know, a double-edged sword. I mean, you know, you <laughs> as a maintainer, I want people to engage with my project, certainly. It's not that I don't want people to. It's just that uh, it doesn't scale very well, <laughs> unfortunately. So yeah, people yeah. asking questions that are in the quick start or the FAQs, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's taking... It's taking time from there it's taking their ability to have you maintain it it's a it's a funny balance right. isn't it yeah so now i mean if, if i'm gonna submit a bug i make sure that it's not has not already been talked about to death and i'd like we'll search for a, a while before submitting it maybe to a fault so does do you do, does your you know your work come back and say slow down on sustaining this stuff do you you know do you end up having pushback from that do you you know how do you balance your time uh, do you mean for this project specifically, or for the code base or of of that of that company generally? No, Sorry. for this for this project specifically. And then I I, I do want to watch the clock and segue us back a little bit in technical debt because I I do I do want to get yeah. your, your your position for that. Yeah. Um, so we just from just kind of the state that uh, the company was in and where we were at, we we ended up kind of moving. We, we had a lot less tech debt for a little while. The feature development itself kind of slowed down and we went more into maintenance mode. Um, so we were kind of using this and the tool itself kind of stabilized. So there wasn't really a need for me to constantly try to be like, oh, I really need to develop this tool and not work on actual work stuff. This was always something that I did on the side, um, which was why even for my own company, when I was working on Tootles, I was like, ah, I'm kind of just like volunteering my time to companies even if it's my company right now like why am i doing that makes a lot of sense and it's it's hard because yeah. right if if you're putting in a lot of time especially in a small startup you know you could be putting that time into feature development or burning down your backlog or you know yeah. making making you know a fire go out that you know <laughs> so if yeah if, if i'm spending time working on a saturday as much as i like working on technical stuff um you know, there's, there's a part of me that's like, I could be putting out a fire. So, yeah. so is, yeah. And that to me is about technical debt, right? If you're going to, if you're going to put an extra time on your company work, you know, do you look at your at, at technical debt? I mean, you have, you built this tool to help surface technical debt. Do you, you know, try to find items of technical debt or rank them or score them to figure out what's, you know, going to put out a fire or what's, you know, how do, how do you make decisions about paying that down? I think that's the hardest part about working at a startup for me is kind of knowing where that, yeah, drawing that line. Um, mm. I think that when you're at a small company, you often are a little bit more reactive to these things than you might like to be. Um, so we would generally pick up a form of tech debt either after it had already like bitten us in some way um or if you know there was some aspect of it that was like actively making our day-to-day -day development less pleasant to do um which is kind of 
that that's tough in itself. You're kind of dooming yourself to be always being kind of uh, dragged down by your technical debt. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of the nature of the business a little bit in certain ways. Like you're gonna, if you're working with only a couple people and you have a lot of stuff that you want to build, you're going to push features at the expense of other things. Um, so it's, it's always that like, what, what is the lowest hang, you know, the biggest bang for your buck kind of thing, which is not really a insightful answer, but that's kind of just, <laughs> that's kind of what it is for a lot of people, I think. It's it's a really it's a real struggle because right this is where just experience comes back. There's some technical debt that goes you know that that you accumulate and never never hit right right. Um, and I've had huge arguments and fights about you know fix that fix that fix that and it just it it was it was a sleeper bug. It never came back as a as a serious issue because it wasn't you know that part of the code or that performance never surfaced as a critical thing. Um, you have a story about some technical debt where you, you know, you, you really felt like, you know, we should have fixed it. We didn't, or we did fix it. And we were super glad in the spectrum. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we, at one point wrote a very, um, we wrote a pretty mission critical, um, service, um, in node because, um, one of our, yeah, just regular JavaScript because we had, um, a library that one of the founders of the company had written uh, previous to us making this choice, which we wanted to use, which uh, specifically this was uh, a tool that he had written that would um, generate all of our database models from protocol buffers, um, which I'm sure some people are cringing at me saying that, but um, that the, <laughs> in the state of our code base, that was it made sense for us. Um, so because of this tool, um, we wrote a very a very critical component in JavaScript. And we were just having so many errors happen from a lack of uh, a compiler. Um, and we were, you know, refactors were difficult. Adding code was becoming difficult. Mm. Um, it, it, it was just clearly the wrong choice for an app that was doing a lot of like, you know, just kind of just general like crud stuff, just like, you know, read the models, do some stuff, do a couple joins and have a little bit of business logic, which, you know, in all all things considered, not super complicated. We shouldn't be dealing with a lot of the problems that we had. Um, so we eventually rewrote it in TypeScript, which is like a thing that we were wanting to do and just like have a typed language around it. Um, and since we did that, it was, you know, it, we spent a month on it, like development stopped while we did that um, in terms of features. But since we had done that, it was such a great call because um, suddenly like everything was more, just more pleasant to work on. If I made a change and in one part of the code and I, the compiler told me, oh, you got to update these things over here. It's huge in the long run. Um, so that was a, a good example of that, of something we were just really suffering with for a while. That is um, a, an amazingly good story. Right. I, I, I feel that all the time. It's one of those, right, you, you know, and, and I actually am a big fan of sort of um, feature cycles, uh, cleanup and stabilization cycles and and enabling people to go in and refactor and clean things up and, and fix problems based on experience. Um, but you have to think of a stabilization phase as a, as a feature of the right. product. Because um, what you described, while it's technical debt, to me, it ends up being a feature from a sustainability perspective. Uh, that's really interesting. So uh, turning that around to Toodles, it you know would would the same thing like you know it sounds like there's a there's 
you know, technical debt in Toodles that would allow you to have plugins or, you know, in a lot of open source projects, this is the answer, right? It's like, oh, those things are really, you know, community extensions. Would that have made Toodles easier to extend for you? Would that have, would that have you know, sort of made the project able to grow faster? I think it probably would have. Um, there was definitely a desire for these sorts of integrations. Um, and they were on my, like, those sorts of things were on my roadmap for the things that I wanted to build. Um, but I realized that building those things, like putting that infrastructure in there for these sorts of integrations would have just taken a ton of time and work um, that I didn't know if that was going to be worth it. Um, and I guess to to touch on another point here that um, that I, that I referenced in the article, which was that the only kind of metrics of the usage of the app that I had were mostly you know the downloads and like the GitHub activity, but I didn't really know how people were using the software at all. Mm. Um, I just cut like the, the the data that I was working with was was very incomplete. So I didn't really know if adding these sorts of integrations to try to like kind of double down and say like, okay, I want this project to grow. I'm going to do all the things that I can to make that happen. Um, it was just tough to know if that was worth it. And I kind of ended up going down this monetization rabbit hole, which really detracted from me doing that. So uh, with hindsight, that was it was just the wrong move to go down. I probably should have spent more time making it so that you know we could make these uh, sorts of integrations, these third-party integrations that you're referencing. That's a really interesting point. One of the things that, that I've seen with, with our, our experience, it sounds like it's similar for you, is that data back from what users are doing is amazingly powerful and motivating. It's so helpful. Yeah, it's so helpful. And the the thing that really frustrates me about the like one opinion about the open that the open source community has that I think that really bothers me is that um, there's such a stigma about collecting that sorts of information um, from mm. anyone, which I, I understand. You know, uh, no one wants to be tracked. Every like privacy is very important. Um, and data leaks happen and things like that. But we tolerate, you know, Chrome and, you know, your browsers and your, your OS and all of these things that track everything that you do. But when an open source developer who gives you a free tool tries to do it, everyone is up in arms about it, um, which I think is kind of backwards a little bit. And I, it's a thing that I would like, uh, an opinion that I would like to see change over time. I think that's a really important insight. Um... Because people don't appreciate when you're building these open source projects and you, it's your time and it's limited, right? And you're donating it, how mm -hmm. much the data of what people actually use would influence that and let you, yeah. let you support their use cases better, let you sustain everything better. That's a really important um, thing. And we do really shame people uh, in open source communities in a variety of ways. And that's you're right. Collecting data is one of them. It's like, it's free. I don't have to tell you anything. It's like, it's not, it's not really free. It's my time. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it is. It's, 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 it surprises me because the, um, there's like a, um, people like advocating for the developers, but then also actively like, not wanting to help them out in any way at the same time. It's like a weird kind of uh, cognitive dissonance that we have, I feel like. So, so do you have some advice? I, and we're, we're talking about this. I, I, I feel like we're using past tense for Toodles more than, than might be warranted. Toodles is still an active project. You're still doing sustaining work on it. 
it's maybe matured a little bit, so it's it's more stable. Is that a fair characterization? Where is Tools? Um, yeah, I, I think that at this point, I, I I have not been building any large features for Tootles recently. Um, but I do get the occasional like small thing that I will fix and small things that I will change. Um, I would say that right now, um, any large features are things that like I, I get to kind of slowly at this point because um, it's still just me working on it. Mm -hmm. um, and since then, my focus has shifted a little bit to I want to kind of solve some of these problems that I am referencing. Um, so I've been working on um, a new a new tool to kind of address some of these problems, and I kind of come I pop back into Tootles when something comes up. Um, but it's it's no longer my like primary focus at this point but, but people listening can check it out they can play with it they can they can get a feel for it yeah please do i'd be i i'm still i still want to know how you're using it how it's helping and i still definitely um am you know fixing any bugs that pop up for sure and definitely you know feature requests he wants right rob i mean three to four a person per day that's our goal. <laughs> Fill it up. <laughs> Especially ones that are already solved or have opened bug requests in them. Yes, that's totally, yeah. I'm sure, Avi, that's your favorite. Destroy my inbox, please. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, Go ahead, So, Steve. Avi, I, I have to wrap us up because oh, that's, no. that's part of my job. But, Avi, this was fantastic. I think this is exactly what I was hoping we'd get. I mean, your view of open source and everything is great. If people want to reach out to you, follow you, uh, where should they go? And where's the website as well for Toodles? Um, I think the best place to check out Toodles is just on the GitHub page. Um, so github.com slash avi 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 slash Toodles. Um, if you want to follow me, Twitter is the best place for that. Uh, just avi press, avi underscore press uh, is where you can find me. Um, or you can uh, visit my homepage, which is just avi.press. Oh, well, great. Well, Avi, Rob, thank you again. Another uh, great podcast. This was uh, fantastic. And to our listeners, um, you know, join us. Avi, you know, we reached out to Avi when we read his post. But if you ever thought, I'm too afraid to do it, this was Avi's first podcast, and he did great. So, uh, you know, we're all, we were always looking for people to join us. And, uh, you know, if not, we will see you again. And Avi, you know, maybe six months from now or something, you will have launched an empire built around Toodles. Or after this podcast, Disney will call and sue you. In which case, if that happens, I totally want to have you back on. For, That's why yeah, I've really made it. <laughs> now you know you've made it in the world. You want to think about it, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you to both you guys, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me.